Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Twenty-seven-year-old Helen Sharman makes her way to her car. She's a chemist at the Mars Chocolate Factory, and she's on the way home. Her days are filled with questions about the right kind of toffee to use on chocolate ice cream, or how long a Mars bar will survive in the heat. She likes her job. Get up, go to work, come home. A regular nine-to-five. That day, Helen turns out of the factory car park and quickly hits the rush-hour traffic. She sighs and turns the radio up loud. On it, a newscaster is going through the day's headlines. It's early summer 1989, and in Hungary, the communist regime has just been overthrown. Which could end 40 years of one-party rule. An IRA bomb has gone off at a British military base. Police believe the attack may herald a summer of terror. 260 people arrested at Stonehenge for celebrating the summer solstice. 400 protesters moving towards Stonehenge. Helen starts flicking through the channels. I mean, it's number one, the new single. Yeah. Bowling change has been made, and... She just wants to listen to some music. And that's when she hears it. I was driving my car home from work and uh, flicking through the stations trying to find some music, and I heard an announcement, I suppose an advert, really. And it said, um, started off with... Astronaut wanted, no experience necessary. Suddenly, Helen's staring at the radio. An astronaut? Now, lots of kids, me included, dream of being an astronaut. But not Helen. She might work for a company called Mars, but she's never thought about going into space. 
In fact, being British, uh, there was no job for an astronaut growing up in the 1960s, 1970s. Britain didn't even have a space program. So it wasn't possible. It wasn't part of my agenda. But now, Helen's listening hard as the voice on the radio continues. And then went on to describe... They wanted people to go over to Star City near Moscow, train with the cosmonauts and do experiments on the Mir space station. Cosmonauts? Star City? Mir space station? These were words Helen hardly knew. They're looking for someone between 21 and 40 with scientific training and the ability to learn a foreign language. And Helen thinks, I'm 27, and I have a degree in chemistry, and I know French and German. And then this idea begins to form in the back of her mind. What if? The traffic light turns red. Before she can talk herself out of it, Helen reaches for a scrap of paper and scribbles down the number from the radio. She has no idea that this moment, stuck in traffic, is about to change her life. That not only will she be soon going to space, but she's about to get a front row seat to one of the most important events of the 20th century, the collapse of the Soviet Union. And by her side will be a Russian cosmonaut called Sergei Krekalev. From Kaleidoscope, iHeart Podcast, and Exile Content, this is The Last Soviet. I'm Lance Bass. So actually, Helen Sharman and I have pretty similar stories. We grew up in very different worlds and had very different jobs, but we both somehow ended up in the same strange place. A secret town outside of Moscow, doing the same insane thing, training to go to space. We were both young, myself 23, Helen 27, and we left everything we'd ever known behind us to see that electric blue light of our planet from orbit. We were actually at the frontier of something that today is a familiar idea, paying to go to space. Except in our case, it was TV companies who were paying for us. It was CBS and MTV fronting the money for my trip, and for Helen, a bunch of companies with backing from a British TV channel. We were fish out of water, and both of our journeys started completely by chance. For me, with a call from my agent. Lance, what would you say if I told you I've got you a ticket on a Russian space rocket? For Helen, sitting in her car one day in 1989, it all began with that radio ad. Astronaut wanted, no experience necessary. Helen keeps the application form in her bag for weeks before she sends it in. A few weeks later, she gets a call. A woman's voice says, I'm telephoning on behalf of Air Vice Marshal Peter Howard and would like to ask if you would come for a medical for the Anglo-Soviet Juno space mission. The hotline has been buzzing continuously with hopeful astronauts. The mission was a joint project between the Brits and the Soviets. They called it Project Juno. And the idea was to hold a contest to try to find the best person in Britain to go to space. Attracting applications from, among others, a city broker, a tax inspector, a baker. There were commercials on posters, in newspapers, on TV, 
and of course, on the radio. With nearly 12,000 enthusiasts making contact, the chance of success is 6,000 to 1. There was a selection process and medical psychological tests and then gradually whittled us down. This morning it was only a small step onto the platform for the four who've beaten 13,000 candidates in the space race. A documentary film crew even followed their every move. It was kind of like an early version of a reality show. Which one would make it to space? Not quite The Bachelor, but you know what I mean. Helen Sharman's a research technologist for a confectionery firm and is already used to comments about her being the woman from Mars. I know we have to be fit, we have to be able to learn the Russian language, we have to be able to be practicing scientists, fairly dexterous manually, but yeah, I think I've got it. Now, Helen is pretty understated. In fact, I would say she's quite typically British. She's not like us Americans, always saying we are the best at everything. But she had done pretty damn well to get to this stage. 13,000 people had applied, and now she's just one of four. The only obstacle, three other equally determined aspiring astronauts. All four have the same ambition, to join the Juno mission. They were tested and tested. Intelligence, reasoning power, how they work under pressure. They asked Helen about her motivations, why she was doing this. Money, fame, the good of science, the thawing of East-West relations. This was, after all, a rare opportunity for people from the West to go behind the Iron Curtain, to experience a slice of the Soviet way of life. Helen thought about these questions for a while, and in the end, she answered honestly. After doing all this work, all these tests and getting excited, she just wanted to go to space, blast off in a rocket, see the Earth from above. Just like me, she had been bitten by the space bug. From starting out not really believing that space was for someone like her, now it was all she could think about. And it was almost within reach. The final announcement was made in the Science Museum in London. There was a big sort of glitzy TV show and we were being encouraged to try and, and be terribly excited. Helen isn't really one for the cameras or glitz and glamour, so she isn't really feeling it. She's sitting there just trying to remember what to do if they call her name and try not to think about how many people are watching at home. Helen Sharman. When they announced my name, I just knew I had to stand up, go to the stage, shake hands, turn to face the cameras, smile a lot. And it was only really when the whole thing finished where I could sort of relax and think, I'm going to train with the cosmonauts. And, and it could really start to sink in then. Helen was off to train for 18 months with a team of cosmonauts for a mission to the Mir space station the Soviet's most advanced piece of space technology. It's a huge floating network of tubes and wires in orbit around the Earth, where multiple cosmonauts can live, work, and perform experiments. Helen had 48 hours to pack up her life and move to the Soviet Union. I had to resign from my job. I closed for the Moscow winter. 18 months in Moscow. She was going to need a thick coat. I'm sell my car, I, you know, <laughs> all that. She even got her affairs in order in case she died in training or on her mission. The arranged power of attorney, it was before internet banking, before the internet as we know it now. No emails, no mobile phones. It was all very, very weird. Um, a feeling of being cut off, I think, very much from everything that had known in the UK. For Helen, the Soviet Union was very much an alien land. It 
felt very exotic and very, very exciting. It was going some other world, really. Helen had grown up in the 1970s. Where we were told that the Soviets were all nasty and they were going to come and bomb our country with nuclear bombs. So she was already nervous. Then, in November 1989, just as she's preparing to leave everything she knows, she hears this news. From ABC, this is World News Tonight with Peter Jennings. Reporting tonight from Berlin. From the Berlin Wall specifically, take a look at them. They've been there since last night. They are here in the thousands. They are here in the tens of thousands. The Berlin Wall was coming down. Thousands and thousands of West Germans come to make the point that the wall has suddenly become irrelevant. Earlier that summer, a peaceful revolution began in East Berlin, calling for more freedom. And finally, on the night of November 9th, the checkpoints were overrun and the gates of the wall were swung wide open. The hapless East German border guards at checkpoint Charlie, they were swamped. They simply gave up, opened the gates and allowed thousands through the one crossing point that had remained firmly closed. The news was beamed across the globe. Checkpoint Charlie. Today, the government of East Germany announced that its borders are open. For Helen's family and friends, it was worrying. Would it be dangerous going to Moscow at this totally uncertain time? And I expected a sort of harsh exterior, perhaps people who were a bit secretive, people who didn't want to share much. But Helen was determined. She realized not only did she have the chance to become a cosmonaut, but she could find out what was really happening behind the Iron Curtain. That's coming up after the break. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Star City, the secret cosmonaut training facility. I remember arriving there in 2002 for my very first days of training. They shipped me out there in the dead of night to a place about 20 miles north of Moscow in the middle of a forest. It was a place that, until the 90s, was completely off the map. It felt like I was arriving at the Russian version of Area 51. When you get there, there are these huge iron gates and guards standing there. Helen remembers the same thing. Soldiers with their guns at the gates and barbed wire around the edge of Star City. But once you got inside the walls of Star City, I remember it had the feel of kind of a movie set, cut off from the rest of the Soviet Union. There was a bank, shops, a movie theater, a railway station, sports fields. But if that sounds quaint, it wasn't. All the buildings were gray, brutalist blocks. And let me tell you, on a cloudy day, the whole place felt pretty bleak. But there also was this big sense of community. Everybody knew everybody, because the only people allowed to live there were cosmonauts and their families. The fact that there were cosmonauts walking around who I'd read about and who I could see in space magazines and so on, and that they, I was queuing in the post office behind them. Helen was starstruck. But before she could meet her heroes and her future crew, she had to train. Training to be a cosmonaut is one of the hardest things I have ever done, no doubt about it. More physically and mentally grueling than any NSYNC world tour, and those were rough. Days at Star City started at about 5 a.m. First on the schedule was a Russian language class, taught by a teacher that only spoke French and Russian. Yeah, and I gotta say Russian, <laughs> it's not easy. In fact, Russian is one of the most difficult languages in the world to learn. I didn't even know that I had to learn a whole new alphabet. I mean, it took me six months to learn which means I speak Russian a little. And that's before we even started the physical training. It's not so much about running marathons, but it's building up a good muscle strength and general fitness. All right. Helen's doing that thing we call British understatement again. Because the training, it's brutal. We had this machine, which is meant to recreate what it feels like when your rocket is returning to Earth. They strapped me into a chair, spun me around. I got up to 5Gs, which is basically like a grand piano being pressed into your chest. Then there was the weightlifting. Working so hard, I was puking like every five minutes. And I haven't even told you what happened in the woods. Sometimes they would just leave you there after a long run and say, okay, enjoy your night. And I had to build a shelter and start a fire and find food all on my own in the deep, dark depths of a Russian forest. Then there was the technical stuff, which you had to totally learn from scratch. Astronavigation ballistics. Basically the theory of flying really freaking fast through space. And all of this in Russian. One thing I found out pretty quickly was that they weren't going to make any distinctions between the trained cosmonauts and us newbies. Every member of the crew would have responsibilities. 
I was in charge of oxygen on the Soyuz, so I had to know exactly how much air was needed to keep my crewmates safe. I had to calculate all of this in my head. And did I mention all of this was in Russian? Yeah, if you were even a point off, everyone was dead. Because so much can go wrong with space travel. We were always having to learn what you should do in the event of a disaster. So some simple things, for instance, let's say the radio might not work. What if you can't speak to ground control? But there could be something else more complex. Like what if your spaceship fails to land on the station? What the hell do you do then? What if the electricity cuts out? Or one of your fellow crew goes on a spacewalk and never comes back? So together, we would work through that. Now, that's the kind of thing that we did in the simulators. And you would practice and practice and practice. And it really was a case of practice makes perfect. Years and years of Soviet missions to space meant that if anything went wrong, there was always a go-to answer. These scenarios are often written down as well. It's part of our manuals. So we don't have to remember everything. We just have to remember which page we've got to quickly move to for plan B or plan C instead of plan A. After months in Star City, Helen started to believe in herself. She was strong. She knew a bit more Russian than I did, and she knew how to save the spaceship from disaster. And eventually, in the summer of 1990, she was ready to meet her crew, the famous cosmonauts, the guys she had been standing behind in the post office. The commander of her mission would be Anatoly Artabaski, and she would also ride with an engineer, the hero of the Salyut 7 rescue, Sergei Kreklev. Sergei starts off when you meet him. I mean, he's, he is a very modest kind of character. I think he's very strong internally, but he's not the kind of person who would be the loudest in the room by any stretch of the imagination. You could probably go into a room, unless he's standing up, he's quite tall. But if he was sitting down, you probably could go past without even noticing him. Because he's not shouting, he's not waving his arms around. So, you know, his presence just sort of crept up on me. Helen says there's this thing you need to understand about cosmonauts. All the cosmonauts are chosen, in many respects, we're all quite similar. Fairly, I'd say, even-tempered, so not too excitable, not too depressive. But Sergei stood out. I think Sergei has got a particularly high propensity to deal with stress. He's just outwardly very calm. He probably deals with it all inside, but he does deal with it. Soon she was being invited to his house to meet his family. And of course, the first time that any British person goes to a Soviet house for dinner, you think, oh, this is an enormous amount of food. Wow, isn't this amazing? And then you're offered more and more and more. And you think, thank you very much. That was delicious. Really feeling super full. It was great. And then they say, oh, now it's the main course. (laughs) I can tell you what Helen says about the Russians is true. They love to feed you and they like to get you drunk on vodka. But the generosity Helen experienced in Sergei's house also made her think. I know they were very well off compared to the average Soviet citizen at that time. I certainly was aware of the difficulty of many of them, the queues. I hate standing in lines. I hate it. And some of the hunger that was going around, some of the homelessness as well in Moscow. It cost the average Russian a full day's pay for a pound of meat at the private markets. And then compared to the relatively good standard of living in Star City, the fact that I could go to a canteen. Food at Star City is luxurious by Soviet standards. The diet calculated by scientists to give them exact... And eat my breakfast, lunch and dinner there. And so could the other cosmonauts without having to worry about where was that food coming from. That was a real luxury. Because in the rest of the country, people were starving. 
Women and children were sleeping in Moscow's railway stations. So what do you do now? I don't even know what I can do. I'm going to have to go back to the train station and spend the night there. 32 million Russians now found themselves below the poverty line. So only one in six families has a telephone. Only one in 24 owns a car. The quality of most things people can buy here is third rate. Helen heard about all of this from the Western media and her friends from back home. She knew about the collapse of the Soviet economy. And she also knew about President Gorbachev and about how he was trying to change the Soviet Union. So in England, in the UK, we'd got these two Russian words, um, glasnost and perestroika. We talked a little bit about this in episode two. Glasnost generally just means openness and perestroika means rebuilding. And they became synonymous with what Gorbachev was trying to do. He was being more open with the West. We liked glasnost and we liked perestroika in the West. And here was a chance to ask actual Soviets what they thought. And so she started going up to the cosmonauts in Star City. What do you think about these reforms of Glasnost, of Perestroika? And the response I got was a bit of a blank. Well, that's odd. I don't, people don't normally kind of sort of stum up on me when I'm asking them questions. And they say, well, what do you mean? She replied, well, you know, I mean, like society opening up. What President Gorbachev is trying to do. What? Aren't we open? We thought we were being quite open with you. And what about perestroika? Rebuilding. Well, we're rebuilding the school down the road. That's a good thing, isn't it? The political connotations to these two words just weren't used in the Soviet Union. This made Helen realize everything she thought about the Soviet Union was wrong. That people in Star City, people like Sergei Krekalev, cosmonauts, they actually liked their lives. Because their lives were relatively quite good and relatively quite stable, they liked the way that they worked and the way that they lived. They weren't aware of any other way to do that. And they were very happy with that. And I kind of, I suppose I'd always assumed that they would always be trying to live more like the life in the West was. And of course they weren't. They were very happy with their lives. Happy with their lives and proud to be part of the Soviet space program. The most revered men in the Soviet Union revered and rewarded with comfortable houses, food, and a good life. Only problem is, that comfortable life, the one enjoyed by Soviet cosmonauts since the age of Yuri Gagarin, it was in serious jeopardy. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So it's now April 1991. And the three cosmonauts, Sergei, Helen, and Anatoly, are finally ready. Ready to go to space. They leave Star City by military plane, and three hours later, they start their descent to Baikonur, the secret city in the desert where the Soviets launched their rockets from. Helen clings to her seat. Baikonur is everything she pictured. The closest thing on Earth to a Star Wars planet, with great hangars and domes jutting out of the reddish-brown Earth. And the cosmonauts are going to have to spend two weeks there, in quarantine. They need to make sure that they're not carrying any viruses into the space station. Then they have to go through a series of strange rituals. Rituals that go back to the very early days of Soviet space travel. There's a huge number of very traditional things that we do before the space flight itself on the day. You wake up, whichever bedroom you've been sleeping in, you sign the door. Your signature goes on the, on the door of that room. Goodness knows what they've done with all these doors. They must be jam-packed full of signatures. But the signatures are only the first part of the ritual. Next, the cosmonauts watch a movie. Picture the scene. Helen, Sergei, and Anatoly all gathered around on this little sofa for movie night. Maybe eating some popcorn, or probably more like sunflower seeds. And what was the movie? White Sun in the Desert, I think it's called. So some sort of comedy. White Sun in the Desert. Very Russian. Hardly sounds like Meet the Parents, but, you know, anyway. Then the next day, they get up early, get into their spacesuits, they get on a bus to the launch site, and then comes another ritual. Yuri Gagarin forgot to go to the loo before he went to the rocket, so he needed to get out of the bus and have a pee on the back wheel, so we all do that. That's right, because Yuri Gagarin forgot to take a leak before his flight into space in 1961, every cosmonaut who flies in the Soviet Union still has to do this. Although Helen actually didn't. She's a woman, remember, and she'd have to take her spacesuit off. Finally, bathroom break done, they head to the launch site. There's a television on the bus where they watch video messages from Sergei and Anatoly's kids. Anatoly's little boy tells him, pity you won't be here this summer. Goodbye. And then they're there in front of the rocket, a rocket plastered with two flags, one for Great Britain, the Union Jack, and the other for the Soviet Union, the hammer and sickle. They climb the steel stairs and get in the elevator. Up and up they travel to the top of the rocket, to their capsule. I was sitting on the right-hand side, and the commander, Tolia, he had the middle seat, and Sergei had this seat on the left. And the hatch door closes, and that's it. 
just the three of them, all totally focused on the job at hand, the launch, the docking, and what they need to do when they get to the station. After what seems like an age, they feel it. The rumble, the shaking, the rockets start to fire. The rocket engines fire. It takes a while for the thrust to build up. One second, two seconds, three seconds. Probably tens of seconds before the thrust builds up enough. 10 seconds of waiting, neither off the ground nor attached. Before the thrust builds up enough to lift you off the ground. But as they wait in this in-between state, about to sever gravity's hold on them, to break the tether with Earth, something at the back of their mind, something completely out of their control, keeps intruding on their thoughts. What are they leaving behind? Because away from the rocket, Beyond the Kazakh desert, outside the guarded walls of Star City, the Soviet Union is beginning to break down. I covered it all across East Europe. That's Serge Schmemann again. He was the New York Times Moscow correspondent. I was in Hungary. A few years ago, this march could not have taken place. Czechoslovakia. People were standing on the roofs above Wenceslas Square an hour before today's demonstration. In Romania. That news, the army is now firmly on the side of the people. Poland, I spent a lot of time. In Poland, the euphoria over the collapse of communism has... It was a period when Gorbachev's reforms just swept through the former Soviet empire. The latest surge in the tide sweeping Eastern Europe demanding communist heads. And knocked down wall after wall. In the old days, when people protested, the Soviets sent in tanks. But Gorbachev was all about freedom. And so he said, go ahead, protest, take to the streets. And people did in the millions. I was at the Hungarian border when people started flooding across. I was in Prague when hundreds of thousands of people went out to Wenceslas Square and jangled their keys. The dissidents are becoming much more confident. Which was a sign, you know, the keys are gone and the doors are open. The cries for freedom have been getting louder here all week. There was a feeling of change in the air. In the Soviet system, the main glue had been fear, the thing that held people in check and in thrall. And now the fear was gone. What I think nobody understood was that this was a system built on repression. That if you loosen one screw, they're all going to start loosening. And then you can't hold this thing together. The empire was rapidly disintegrating. So as the cosmonauts took off, they knew what they were leaving. They knew that they were leaving a country that was in deep disarray, in deep and existential crisis. That's next time on The Last Soviet. The Last Soviet is a Kaleidoscope production in partnership with iHeart Podcast and Exile Media. Produced by Samizdat Audio. And hosted by me, Lance Bass. Executive produced by Kate Osborne and Mangesh Hadakador with Oz Wolishin and Kostas Linos. From iHeart, executive produced by Katrina Norvell and Nikki Ettore. From Sam's Dad Audio, our executive producers are Joe Sykes and Dasha Lisitsina. 
Produced by Asia Fuchs, Dasha Litsitsinia, and Joe Sykes. Writing by Lydia Marchant, research by Mika Golubowski and Molly Schwartz. Music by Will Epstein, theme by Martin Orstrich. Sound design by Richard Ward. And special thanks to Nando Villa, Alyssa Pollock, Will Pearson, Connell Byrne, Bob Pittman, and Isaac Lee. If you want to hear more shows like this, nothing is more important to the creators here at Kaleidoscope than subscribers, ratings, and reviews. So please spread the love wherever you listen. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown? Sleep tight stories.